Welcome back to the MicroConf podcast. This is a MicroConf refresh episode where we look back at one of the best talks from the last 11 years of MicroConf. I'm your host, Rob Walling, and today's talk is a brief primer on pricing given by yours truly at MicroConf Europe in 2021. Tickets for MicroConf Europe 2022 in Malta are now on sale. You can head to microconf.com slash Europe if you are interested. It's this November of 2022 in Malta, and I would love to see you there. I want to be honest before we dive in. I'm pretty critical of my own talks, and I tend to grade them pretty harshly. I would say I'm my own worst critic in ways, but I really like this talk. This codified a lot of my thinking around how to price your product, how to think about expansion revenue, how to raise prices. There's a lot here that I'm proud of because it was bunch of stuff rattling around in my head for a year or two that I finally was able to put into one place. So if you haven't seen this talk, I'd encourage you to keep listening and hear a bunch of my thinking on pricing. In addition, there is a YouTube link in the show notes if you want to see the visuals and see that uh, amazing stage out in Croatia where I gave the talk back in 2021. Thanks so much for joining us again this week and let's dive into the talk. I actually debated about what to talk about here. And what I realized is the thing that I've been thinking about the most over the past, thinking about and advising the most, there's been a bunch of topics. And I wrote them all down while I was on the first plane to Portland like four weeks ago and I had this big list of things. And it's like, that was like a three hour talk, right? It was just all these topics. What I realized is they all rotated tangentially at least around pricing. And so that's what today's talks about. So I'm calling it a brief primer on pricing, on SaaS pricing itself. So I say it's brief because how much can you cover in, in 35 or 40 minutes, right? I, I, there's a couple bullets that I'll run through. Um, it is obviously not an exhaustive list, but I feel like this is almost, I almost called this a founder's guide to SaaS pricing because you don't have to have a PhD in pricing. You don't, um, need to necessarily understand everything to the infinite depths of all the equations. It's, what I've learned as a founder and now an advisor in very, I would say, practical terms. So any talk I give, I try to keep it. There's obviously some theory involved, but there's a lot of just practice and patterns and practicality that I want to drop today. Um, the talk title that I gave Xander was Raise Your Prices and Other Obvious Startup Advice. We, of course, could not have a microconf without someone not saying, you know, someone saying raise your prices. Uh, he asked me in Slack when I sent this to him, he said, are you sure? I'll go with that. But I feel like you're punking me that that's the title. So either of those work. Um, what we're going to be covering today in four, I can't remember if I have three or four sections, to be honest. We're going to talk about expansion revenue really about pricing structure, tiers, um, some thoughts on that and how to build in expansion revenue. We're going to be talking about ARPC, not LTV. You often hear ARPU, average revenue per user, but it's always bothered me because as Pierre said this morning, users are not customers. You can have a thousand users not paying you anything. So I've always said ARPC, average revenue per customer. It's the same thing. But ARPC, not LTV. I'm going to talk about why ARPC is so important. Uh, the impact of raising your prices, of course. Um, first order effect, which everyone knows, the second order effect that I don't think most people think about, right? So I'm not up here to tell you obvious things. I'm going to say raise your prices. That's the obvious thing. But then I'm going to say why. And then I'm going to say second order, why? And then I'm going to actually talk uh, in depth. I've raised prices. I, I was trying to think, I think five... Five different times, 
I raised prices on a SaaS app, it might be six. Then I've, and I've seen it done really well. Uh, I've been involved intimately reviewing things about SaaS pricing increases total maybe 15 to 20 times um, with different founders that I've advised or invested in or whatever. So I have enough experience. It's not an N of a thousand, but it's an, probably an N of, uh, uh, you know, of more than, than most people do. And I've seen it done really well. And then I've seen me leave a company and have it done catastrophically. So some of you, some of you get that joke. So uh, always start with my why. This is, this is a microconf tradition of this is all business advice. This is great. We want to build incredible companies. This is why I build companies, is for the freedom to do what I want, the purpose, because building companies is so much fun, and my relationships. And I think some of you have seen these two little kids here when they were running around, you know, three, four years old, right? And yeah, I have some folks in there. So, I mean, they were coming to MicroConf back when it was in Prague and Barcelona. They're 15 and 11 now. One's in high school. Um, so things change, but, you know, this is... This is, this is why I'm here. So with that, let's dive into expansion revenue. Okay, so we have, we have, we have it so good with SaaS. There's so many things. The cost of goods sold is so low. Uh, distribution is infinite. You build it once, you sell it over and over. And recurring revenue. We don't talk enough about this. In every other business, if you're not in SaaS, if you talk to someone who runs a restaurant, who runs a, um, uh, a services business, who runs a one-time sale of anything, brick and mortar, recurring revenue, everybody wants it. And there's a reason, because recurring revenue is the business cheat code, right? It, there's a reason that there's a kajillion books written on this topic, many of them not very good. That one's really good, by the way, if you decide. We already have, if you're already SaaS, you don't need to read that book, but the whole point of that book is, in a non-recurring business, here's how to get recurring revenue. Once you have recurring revenue, your sales multiple increases, your enterprise value increases, the stability of your business increases if you hit a recession. So much about it, and we get that for free as SaaS founders. Since we're super greedy, we can't stop there. What is the SaaS cheat code? That's expansion revenue. So what's expansion revenue? That's the opportunity for a customer to pay you more money as they get more value from your product. It's basically having pricing tiers that allow them, that allow them to usually auto upgrade, sometimes have to manually, but usually they just auto upgrade through the tiers, they pay you more money. Why is, that's the first order effect. Second order effect, why is that important? Because that eventually gets you to net negative churn, which is something most apps never see. But once you've seen net negative churn and you've looked at your business and said, wait a minute, we had a really rough month because December sucks every year, usually for companies I started. It was right around tax time in the US, April, May, one of those months sucked, December sucked every year. We had a, you know, zero net customers, but our business grew four and a half percent last month. How is that? Well, it's net negative churn. And if you're actually actively putting things on, uh, you know, new customers and there's net negative churn, this is what the biggest business and fastest growing SaaS businesses in the world are able to achieve. It's not trivial, but it's something that we should at least strive for if possible. It's not possible with every SaaS business. If I were to ever start a SaaS company, again, I would have, you know, you, we all have our list of things, right? I'll never send email for my app again because it's such a pain in the ass. I will never... Um, I will never not, I will start a business that has some type of virality in it, right? And I will start a business that has some type of, uh, of expansion revenue. So let's talk about expansion revenue and then I'll look at um, a couple examples. 
the idea, oh, the funny thing is there's two slides here that the fonts are all different. It's because I pulled them. We have a Tiny Seed playbook that we do the first seven weeks, eight weeks of Tiny Seed. And we have a, one on pricing and one on funnels. And it's like everything, you know, all the intimate, like, secret, top secret details. And so I pulled a couple slides from that here because we have one on, on pricing. So the idea with expansion revenue is that you want to charge more, but you want to charge more only to the right customer segments, right? So the example I often use is, Squadcast is a Tiny C Batch 2 company. They are a studio quality podcast recording. So I go into Chrome, log into Squadcast, I send out a link because I'm going to interview John Knox. So I send him the email and then he and I both go in and suddenly studio quality. It's a double ender. It records locally on both sides. That's great. Podcast recording. They have, you can imagine they could have a pricing tier. I've actually seen competitors do this. Um, I could just say, all right, cool. It's worth 20 bucks a month. And there we go. We don't really have tiers, right? The problem is you get, or you could say it's 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month, you pick a single price point. Problem is you have fly fishing podcasts, you have a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, you have hobbyists who are like kind of balking at nine bucks, 14 a month. You're really, that's a lot of money. You have business podcasts like Startups for the Rest of Us, um, you know, any of the other podcasts we might listen to. And for us, 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month, it's, it's nothing, right? That's, that's a good, good price point. And then you might have a company, I'm using a, a made up example, but you have Gimlet Media, you have NPR, you have ESPN uh, podcast network, iHeartRadio, these big podcast networks that have different needs than startups for the rest of us and should pay a hell of a lot more, like thousands of dollars a month, two, three, four, five thousand a month, probably. So the, I, the concept here is in this particular instance, right, is what features or usage patterns differentiate these customer types such that not only when they sign up, you can auto put them in the bucket that they should be, but uh, in other instances, actually upgrade over time, even if they start at a lower, you know, a lower price point. And so there's really, there's two common ways to do it and a third that's a bit less common and more complex. It's the only ways that I've seen to do this with monthly pricing. We, I'm not going to cover... So we do the state of independent SaaS report and we ask what your pricing is and it's like 85 or 90% of us in the general independent SaaS community are monthly or annual. And then there's like 3% pay as you go, 4%, um, what's the other one, metered. And then there's all these different ones. So I'm not unfortunately gonna be able to cover those, but I'll cover the monthly and annual because most people are that. So expansion revenue, first way you can do it to, to allow people to upgrade from one tier to the next is to have a value metric, right? Most people in this room probably know that. What is a value metric? If you are an email service provider like MailChimp or like Drip, then it's the number of subscribers or contacts you have. And the more subscribers or contacts you have, probably the more value you're getting from the software. If you are using CRM software like Close.com, Salesforce, pipe drive, then it's seats, right? The more sales people you have, the more users you have, it's just user-based. Um, so it's great if you can come up with a value metric. To me, this is the number one way to do it. It is the best way um, overall. One note, quick tangent. I have a few quick tips in this thing, and I'll, I'll say this one here. The only way, the only time that you can do seat-based pricing is if two users from the same company log in and they see different things. So imagine two users, both using MailChimp, same company, same organization. They don't see anything different. You really, really, really should not do seat-based pricing because they can just share a login. If two users log into PipeDrive, they have things assigned to them, it looks different. Two users log into Help Scout, 
that's how support software. It's tickets assigned to me, you gotta pass them back. That makes natural sense. So that's that's one rule. But anyways, value metrics, yay, that's that's what we wanna do. Some places, some uh, I say industries or, or, or verticals that you're in, they just aren't super conducive to value metrics. So the second one, in my opinion, is uh, feature gating which is where you say, all right, so we can't think of a number that you use more of, so we're just gonna say if you need this Salesforce integration or this Zapier integration, then you're on a higher plan. If you need streaming to you, direct streaming to YouTube or whatever, um, we do feature gating. And then the third one that originally wasn't on my list, but I realized it's actually relatively common, although it's more common with larger companies that are further along, is both. It's where you have a value metric and then you also have feature gating. And, the examples, there's a few ways to do this elegantly and well. I would really discourage you in the early days from doing both. Um, the examples that I've seen most common when I think of it and search for it is like if you go to MailChimp site, they do it. If you go to Zapier, they do it. Uh, Salesforce, Intercom, there's one other that I thought of. And if there's one thing all those have in common, and it's that they're all valued at a billion dollars or more. And they didn't start with that pricing. And especially if you're, I would say if you're sub a million ARR, you should, I would, I would sacrifice some revenue, some MRR in order to be simple in the early days to get, to get customers because you'll see the pricing pages later as we thumb through a couple of them. And uh, it's pretty, pretty complicated. So um, here's a couple pricing pages just to give you examples. So this is Aweber and they of course are email service provider, they compete with MailChimp and ActiveCampaign and such. And they actually are using, um, they're using it against their competitor, right? They're, they're saying no funny stuff, everyone gets everything with Aweber because if you go to MailChimp, you don't. Everyone doesn't get everything because depending on which tier you are, then you have subscribers. So they are kind of doing the jujitsu move. I don't know if it's working or not, but I think it is clever because MailChimp is a 900 pound gorilla, right? So their value metric is subscribers. The more subscribers you have, the more revenue you pay them. This is. Uh, makes it pretty easy to build an ESP because the pricing model is, um, you know, is all decided. This is a small page. This is the pricing page from Castos. Yay. Podcast hosting. Now, something that unfortunately in the podcast hosting space is a bunch of the early podcast hosts decided that they were going to allow unlimited podcasts and unlimited episodes. This is before Castos. I mean, we're talking like 2008, 9, 10. So a lot of the companies in the space are forced slash encouraged to do that, to do unlimited, unlimited. There are some that are not doing it. And I actually believe Craig just talked about on a podcast, I'm pretty sure it was a public podcast, that, that they're looking at adjusting their pricing. And so there are ways out of this, but really, I mean, Cassos is a, you know, is a successful um, company that's doing quite a bit of revenue and they have done it without a value metric to date. And of course they're just feature gating, right? So they're feature gating this video republishing to YouTube, a headliner audiogram integration, advanced analytics. And they had to figure out, you know, well, the interesting thing is actually, so I have three podcasts on Castos. I have two, it's tiny, there's a tiny C podcast, tiny C tales, microconf podcast and startups, the rest of us. Tiny Seed Tales and Microconf were on the 190 plan because they didn't need extra stuff. And then Startups, the rest of us, which is actually a larger podcast, it's more complicated, we need more stuff for it, we're in the 490 tier. Um, so in this, in this case it works. So that's feature gating. And then here's an elegant way to do both. This is the way I, dis I discourage you from doing both unless you really, really know what you're doing. But this is an interesting way. This is Rails Autoscale, which is an add-on for Heroku. And what he found out, the value metric here is the dynos, right? What, these are just servers. Um, 
VPSs, I believe. So like one to three dynos, one to nine, one to 29, that scales you up and down between that many. Um, and so that really is a value metric, but then what he found is the feature gate is that standard dynos are slower, less RAM, whatever they are, and then less memory. And then performance dynos are quite a bit more expensive, so he quickly figured out that he could differentiate there. And if they had three or four types of dynos, of course, he would have different pricing for them. So that's like a kind of elegant way to do it. Um, it's not terrible. This, in my opinion, this is MailChimp. And look, they sold for $12 billion three weeks ago. So it's not like they're doing anything wrong, but you know what? Go back to their pricing in 2007. It didn't look like this, right? It used to be one plan, purely subscribers. And it wasn't until they got way in and had kajillion data points that they, that they started doing this kind of stuff. This is not the full pricing page. The down here where you see it says marketing CRM and then contacts audiences and it goes down. I mean, there's a huge list. It's quite complex and it's, this is pretty rough for me. Um, even if I were a new user, I mean, geez, I built an ESP and like when I try to read this and figure out what I would need, I don't know. Like it's, this is daunting to someone who's like in the industry. So again, I discourage that in the early days, Zapier, um, same thing, even if you do it well, it's, there's still a lot there, right? So that's both. That's expansion revenue. Second piece, average revenue per customer, not LTV. ARPC, not LTV. Um, this one's an interesting one. So of course we all pay attention to lifetime value, right? And lifetime value is an easy equation. It's your average revenue per customer divided by your churn. That's the easiest one. There's a bunch you can go online and find more complicated ones. That's the simple one. And so, Obviously we wanna pay attention to, there's like six metrics that are like the most important in SaaS, right? That was almost another talk, talk I wrote. I have them all written out, but churn is one of them, LTV is another. The issue is, I'm gonna show you two examples and point out why LTV is good, but it's a, it's a longer term thing. In the near term as bootstrappers, mostly bootstrappers, we need to be thinking about ARPC, ARPC average revenue per customer more than LTV. So $50 a month average revenue, 5% churn, so I take 50, I divide it by 0 0.05 in my good handy calculator. And of course we get $1,000. So that's my lifetime value of a customer. And so I used to think, I remember in you know, 2008, 2009, as I was just starting to get into recurring stuff, and I, I said, wow, so a thousand bucks. So that means if I could you know, run ads and get a customer for $700, and most of the, and there's really low server costs and it was just me working on this app, I could make like 300 bucks, right? So I should just do that a bunch of times. Here's the problem. Average revenue per customer overturn. Let's say it's still at $50 a month, but let's say I'm really good and I'm really sticky and I have a 1% churn. So now my lifetime value is five grand. That's great. I have increased it. It seems like a lot of money. So now can I spend four grand and make a grand? In theory, assuming no costs, obviously, the problem is you will get that $5,000 over 8.33 years. And that's the kicker, is that lifetime value can be deceiving, especially if your churn is very low. So that's where average revenue per customer is, is a shorter term thing. And as bootstrappers, we have to, since we don't have a million, five million in cash, we have to think a little shorter term. In venture capital, the rule of thumb is that you should spend no more than 12 months of, uh, of 
it's called the ACV, right? The annual contract value. You should spend no more than 12 months of revenue from a customer to acquire them. That's a loose rule. With bootstrappers, the loose rule is three to six months. Six is, I think I got to seven at one point. We had a bunch of money in the bank. So money in the bank becomes a bigger constraint. ARPU is more important than LTV because you can't think out three, four, five years, right? If your lifetime is that long because you don't have the cash for it. So that's where we're talking about, okay, I can increase my LTV just by driving churn down, but that's why raising prices is so important, is that the only way to raise my average revenue per customer usually is to have expansion revenue or to raise my prices. So that's why those two pieces are part of the talk. So the first order effect of all this is average revenue per customer should go up, and we understand it's more important than lifetime value for the most part. What's the second order effect of this? This is the piece that I don't know is talked about enough, and I don't know, it may not have occurred to some folks in this room. Why does average revenue per customer going up matter? And it's because of this slide. This is every marketing, B2B SaaS marketing approach. I think it's everyone that I know of. And I pulled these out of Traction, the book by Gabriel Weinberg. This is from our Tiny Seed Playbook. This is from just, it's just from all my stuff. Um, I'm like working on a book and I have a list and I pull it out and put it here. It's not that many actually. I'm sure there's some others, but uh, you know, there's some broad ones, offline ads. Like what does that actually mean? Well, it's like billboards and, and radio ads or whatever. Not that many of us would do that. Here's the thing. If your average revenue, or if your average revenue per customer or your annual contract value, let's say, you know, is, is let's say you get $500 over the course of a year, you can only do three or three, maybe four of these. You just can't afford the others. So your business is severely limited in terms of growth. If you want to build a two, $300,000 business, great. You're all set. That's a great thing. I've had some of those. They're amazing. If you do want to be more ambitious and get into the seven-figure or eight-figure, you, ha you have to have a larger uh, ACV than that. You have to have a higher average revenue per customer. If you have a lifetime, or I keep saying lifetime value, if you have an annual contract value of, say, 5000 you can do half, maybe 60%. And when you get up to 25,000 or 50,000, that's enterprise, right? You can do pretty much everything on that slide. So it's, it's not just making more profit, it is um, the ability to try and execute more marketing approaches. Let's talk about the impact of raising prices now. We're gonna talk about the impact of it, we're gonna talk about a first order and a second order effect quickly, and then we're gonna go to the end, which is, how to raise prices, like get in a little, as much as I can with, you know, 15 minutes left, but get into some nitty gritty, all right? So the impact of raising prices. I tweeted this out a few weeks ago. Pricing is one of the biggest levers we have as SaaS founders. There's a reason so many microconf talks talk about raising prices. It is one of the very few things you can do by just going and changing a number on a pricing page and a number in a Stripe call, right? It's scary. What I find is that the, the technical ability to change things is not that hard. It's usually the emotional, oh my God, I'm gonna completely crush my business, right? Or I'm gonna take it too far. Because um, you know all your numbers at X pricing and the moment you change them, everything goes haywire, right? So there's a big emotional fear. And that's something that we, I help, like both with Tiny Seed Founders and Founders I Advise and stuff, is getting them over the emotional hurdle and to think about it often as more of an experiment than anything. So here are a couple graphs from, uh, a couple tiny seeds ago, I use, I use tiny seed companies because I have access to their revenue, right? So I'm gonna keep them um, anonymous. But this is when they started tiny seed. And that's the month we did the, our pricing playbook. And our pricing playbook is 
some of what I've had in here, but a lot of it is like most of you are underpriced or mispriced your value metrics off. You know, you should switch from feature gating to value metric, blah, blah, blah. So that company, that company, that company, there's a, there's a bunch more. Um, the interesting thing, I mean, you can, you can see a big spike up, right? Now that's from other things too. The founders got some funding from us. They, you know, maybe moved to full time or whatever, but excuse me, but each of these absolutely changed prices and said that it had a major fundamental impact on their graph. Um, and I actually said, there's a green line there where I extended it out. And if they hadn't, you know, if they had been the same slide and in theory they hadn't uh, changed pricing, they would have been just over 10K. And in fact, by March of the next year, from May to March, they uh, were at almost 20K. So it's a substantial number, right? If you're able to do this. I often get the question, I'll head it off at the past, like, but you know, should I just raise it? I can't raise them to infinity, right? And it's like, you can't, right? At a certain point, you do get too high for where your market is and where your product is. But you, you can get there, but most people don't, is what I'll say. So the first order effect is raising prices helps grow MRR more. Here's the second order effect. The thing that I don't think enough people think about when we talk about this. So again, this is tweets that I did nine months ago or maybe even more. So for more than a decade, this is my thing I've been harping on, right? I've been saying lower paying customers churn faster. Here's another data point. This one from a tiny seed company who remain, a user permission, they'll remain anonymous. So we're gonna look at some data. This is one company, but this is the, it is the exact pattern I see over and over and over across companies. All right, so let's remember this. Segment A pays 30 bucks a month. Segment B pays at least 100, so 100 and up. So segment A, low paying, segment B, higher. Enormous difference between uh, in net churn and LTV. Segment A, low paying, net revenue churn of 11%. Segment B, which is 80% of their revenue, yay, but more, $100 and more, right? Literally negative 4%, net negative churn. I already talked about how powerful that is. Trying to grow a company, I'm reading my own tweet here, with 11% net negative churn versus minus four is not in the same ballpark. That single metric can be the difference between 250K ARR and a million ARR or more. In, in the audience, if you have never segmented your churn by how much they're paying you, by pricing tier or by however you, know, however you do it, it is fun. It is crazy to see the value that you are actually getting and, and the, um, just the long-term, you know, um, long-term value that you're getting from the, your, usually it's your higher paying customers. So that's our second order effect, right? I told you I was going to tell you something maybe a little obvious and then hopefully something you haven't heard. And then I'm just going to walk through one example from Tiny Seed Batch 1. This is when we realized we really, uh, that we had to really harp on pricing. Uh, it's a company called Gather, visual spec management for interior design teams and architects. And when they first came to us, they were doing a high-touch high sale in essence. It was a one or two demo close. So Zoom calls, right? One or two demo close, and their lowest price was $29 a month. So that's an, that's an infe unfeasible business. That business, it just can't work. You can't hire salespeople and compensate them at that. So we encouraged them, raised the pricing, and I believe this was, they raised 39 and 79, because again, it's hard to, they said, we're gonna leave people behind. Um, they actually didn't have a bunch of great features for larger companies, so they were still building them, so they, they moved slowly. And then they realized they moved to 39, there was no difference. Then they moved to 99. 
there was no difference in terms of people not converting or people not sticking around. There was no increased churn or whatever. So suddenly they're realizing where is the ceiling, right? How high can this go? Because you go to an architecture firm of five, 10, 20 people, and you think about if they're gonna run a huge chunk of their workflow on it, do they care? Is 30 and 130 or 99, isn't that kind of the, like it's trivial, it's a rounding error to your business, right? When we last left uh, Gather, I think this is what they have today. They redesigned their pricing page, but 165 and 290. And they, they did this, uh, I don't know, six or eight months ago. And you know, folks who have access to their revenue graph know that, that it just keeps going. They have, they're at their fastest growth rate ever um, because two things. Number one, they raise prices. And number two, they are now getting customers who churn less. That's second order effect. All right, so now a couple tips. These are almost like, like asterisks. Some of these have been questions because I gave parts of this talk at the locals and people would ask a question. So now I'm gonna give you a tip that maybe you're thinking in the audience. Um, this is one that we did back in the drip days and I think I might've done it with Hittail too. You, there's, a, there's a hack around directly raising prices is that you can decrease the value of a specific plan. So meaning, Today, if you get 3,000 subscribers for 49, I can just switch it tomorrow to where you get 2,500, right? You just down, kind of move it down. I, we did this because I really liked our price points with Drip. 49, 99, 149, it just made sense. I didn't want to go 59, 109, 150. You know, it just, it becomes awkward. Um, so you can drop the value metric, right? The other way is, doesn't raise all your pricing, but it's to drop your lowest pricing plan. That's another way to raise your average revenue per customer. Pretty, that one's super easy to do because you go in, you hide a div or whatever, and then you just watch it for a week as you bite your fingernails, and then you, you just watch. Usually, there not be a difference. There are cases where that doesn't work, where you're MailChimp and you do want everyone to come in, right? You want early adopters to, or uh, people who are just getting started to come in and then upgrade with you over time. So you don't want to remove a low pricing plan, but it, but it is one way. Last section here, um, and I think I'm going to zip through the end of it, and you'll, you'll have a bit.ly URL that you can refer to some specific text, but I'm going to talk about raising prices, and the reason I am is because it always bothers me to hear someone tell me to do something and then not tell me how to do it, so I wanted to get something practical. This is going to get like deep in the uh, kind of a mental framework I have around raising prices. Again, having done it well, not so well, having seen it done well, not so well. So. I think, what do we have, three pieces here? So the first thing is, uh, and I'll dive into each of these in a minute, but um, is to think about whether it's an experiment, experimental raise in price or a certainty. I put a certainty in quotes because nothing's a certainty in startups, right? But it's like, do I think, do I want to be able to roll this back real fast? Or am I pretty certain that I'm going with this no matter what? Second thing is think about grandfathering, when to do it, how long to do it that kind of stuff. Third thing is how to message it well. There, again, I've seen it done very well, and that's the example I'll run through at the end. So we'll start with experiment versus certainty. Um, this is a lot around your founder gut. There were times when I've raised prices where I knew that I didn't care if it hurt our funnel in the short term, that I knew we had to do it and we were gonna raise prices and I was not gonna roll it back. Like shit would have had to gone really far sideways for me to roll it back. So I, have, I know the first question I'm gonna get is how do you know if it's experiment or certainty? And it's usually a gut feel. If you don't know, that's probably an experiment. I felt very confident about a few things. So, but here's the thing. So if it's an experiment, then you treat it like one. You make it so it is a two minute rollback, right? You literally change the five things. They're all in one Git label thing. Is it what we call the label? And you, you're able to, to roll it back very quickly. Um, and you watch it every day, painstakingly, and you see 
there's going to be feedback, but more, more importantly, it's like, what are the results, right? How many people are coming through? What's your trial to pay? What was your trial to pay last week? Blah, blah, blah. Every day. And then you give it a couple weeks, maybe a month. It's a poor, you know, we used to call it a, a poor man's split test, right? Um, in a perfect world, you would split test this. Split testing pricing. Very, very difficult. I have literally seen one company ever do this. I'm sure someone else, one SaaS company. And I don't, what I don't mean is getting on sales calls in the early days of customer development and saying, oh yeah, it's 100 bucks, 120, 130, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about literally like on a website, I have a decent amount of traffic and I'm gonna split test it. The only one I know who's done it is Zapier. And what they did, if you ever wanna try this, I've never done this, is that you would sign up, and I don't think they, they must not have had pricing published on their public page. It was just sign up for Zapier. And when you, once you got inside, they forked you. And it was only inside the app once you were logged in. And that was a way for people not to see it on the public site, right? So split testing is very difficult. I wish it wasn't. So instead, I would, again, put it in something I can roll back pretty easy and I would just be monitoring. That's if it's an experiment. If it's a certainty, quote unquote, I would recommend, usually, it's a good idea to make it a marketable event, meaning you announce it, you pre-announce, we're raising prices. So back in, when is this? 2015, this is me again. Drips pricing goes up tomorrow. So I owned it still then, right? Drips pricing goes up tomorrow. I was trying to figure out why I put TMRW, but I think this is back when uh, Twitter, what did they have, 140 characters? Isn't that crazy? So drips pricing goes up tomorrow. Existing customers slash trials are grandfathered. If you've considered drip, now is a good time. Link to the pricing page. We also emailed, you know, if you think about it, you email all your customers and you tell them and whether they are grandfathered or not. You email all your trial users and you say you're already in a trial, but just so you know, if you decide not to convert, if you ever come back, pricing's gonna be higher. Then you email all your, just your marketing list and you promote the hell out of it and you say, if you're not already, if you're trialing in Drip as of tomorrow, you will be at this old price. I mean, you know, it's a marketable thing. I learned this from Dharmesh Shah of HubSpot at a, at a business to software dinner. He mentioned this, I think it's a great idea. So when we did this, this is an email from me to Ruben um, Gomez, the founder of Signwell. And it basically just says, we got a bunch more trials. I don't know, the numbers aren't that important, but um, I thought it was just a funny little artifact from six years ago. Grandfathering. So what does that mean? It means if I'm gonna raise prices on my pricing page, what do I do with my existing customers? Do they keep the same pricing? Do I upgrade everyone? How do I handle it? Well, in a perfect world, you wouldn't even think about it. You'd just upgrade everyone, right? You'd email them and say, hey, price goes up. If I have a restaurant and you eat this week and then I change my prices, when you come back next week, you don't pay the same amount, right? SaaS is different because there's some type of, you know, a little bit of a contract, I'll say, with subscriptions, right? So you have to communicate this. Why do we even consider grandfathering? Well, first thing is because you're concerned that if you just raise prices, people might churn, might find a competitor. Second is it might, if you have thousands of customers, they might write in angrily at your, and be angry at your support people. And third is, it is possible to do this so poorly, I think many of us have seen it, that you can actually damage your brand and your reputation, right? So that's the only reason to consider it, in, you know, in my opinion. If you, it was just a business concern, you would just raise for everybody. So I don't have a hard and fast rule, but I have some, some things here. Um, Actually, I guess I do have a hard and fast rule and I literally call it Rob's rule. Yeah, it's like two slides from here. I didn't even think about it. All right. So even if you're not going to grandfather, right? And it's just like, I'm going to raise prices on everybody, y'all. I've never seen it go well if you do less than two months. Three is more comfortable, in my opinion. I think it's got to be your kind of founder gut on this, but I've seen three to six work. Like Netflix does a year and people still get angry. They get angry when they announce it and they get angry 12 months later. To me, two, three months is perfectly fair. Six is a lot of time. 
they forget about it and then they think you're raising again is what happens. So if I'm going to not grandfather at least two months. All right, so what is my Rob's not rule of 10? Rob's rule of 10. If raising prices on existing customers will not grow MRR by at least 10%, it is probably not even worth considering raising prices on everybody. Does that make sense? Because the idea is, let's say I'm doing 50K MRR, the amount of a headache, the amount of support burden, potential brand damage, and potential churn communication is so onerous that if I'm going to grow by five grand, is it my opinion, this is Rob's rule, you can have your own rule and name it too, um, is 10%. It isn't worth it. Now, I think once you're going to grow 15, if I'm going to go from 50 to 57.5, that starts getting interesting. If I'm going to go to 50 to 60, all right, maybe it's worth it, right? And so you have to, you have your data, you can see what's going to happen. Um, obviously, if it's 5%, I mean, you know, again, the, the, this is my opinion. A couple tips. Never promised your grandfather for life. That's the worst thing you can do because then the next time, whether you sell the company or you raise prices in a year or two or three, you may want to not grandfather that time, right? So just don't leave for life. Lifetime deals for life, like that's for one-time sale stuff. Don't do that in SaaS because you don't know what life means. Final tip before we get into the messaging. This is totally random, but it's something we've realized. Uh, enterprise customers, if you're signing annual contracts, they almost expect annual increases. Build those into your contracts. Just write them in 5%, 10% is usually pretty reasonable. Put it in up front. Say it'll, it auto-renews or as we renew, it'll go up 7%. It's pretty rare I see pushback on that. That's just kind of been a standard for a long time. All right. Last section here. This is on the message. So if I were to do it, if I were to raise prices, and I guess I can cover both grandfathering and not, actually. So there's... You've seen good, like Help Scout did a really good job of this. Um, I did a couple with Drip that I think went, they went really well, so it tells me they were well written. But the one that I think codif codifies it, codifies it all really well is uh, Jordan Gall did it with Cart Hook about a year or two ago. I was involved in that. I re reviewed the, the draft, and then when he sent it out, he was and he was doing crazy stuff. They were they raised the price a lot. They added, they increased a bunch of fees, and they didn't do any grandfathering. So they went pedal to the metal on it, and it it made the business amazing, but he had to be very, very uh, astute in his communication so as not to have something explode on him. So these are the, there's six points and it's kind of the six things you should cover. Um, now, if you're, if you are grandfathering, it's simpler because you basically only need three of these. You're just trying to communicate it and then say, Hey, as an existing customer, we love you. And now you don't, you're not going to pay anything more. Thanks for your support. Right? That part's easy. It's easy to communicate that. You need more if you're going to be like, oh, by the way, in three months, six months, you're going to be, price is going to be doubled. So first thing in your message structure, and I'm going to have an example. I'm going to pull up his thing from Internet Archive and show you. But so you set the stage, you basically say, um, you know, we're raising prices, we're cart hook, we've been around for two years, blah, blah, blah. You kind of give some background, right? High level, we're changing our pricing. Then you give a high-level justification. This is why we're changing our pricing. We realize we are in a completely different space. We're not email service anymore. We're a marketing automation provider. Um, it, you know, we're providing tons more value than when we started, blah, blah, blah. And then a couple optional pieces. You can have more specifics about who it impacts and when, more justification, and then reach out if there's questions, all right? So again, I went back through emails because I've received a bunch of these. The one that I like the most is this one, and it's, uh, it's a blog post. I went to the Carthook blog and it's not there anymore. So I went to Internet 
uh, archive, Wayback Machine, and I found it and I put it at this bit.ly URL. So it's bit.ly slash cart hook pricing. So you can go look at it now or later um, to see those six points and how he covers them and then figure out if you would like to reorder them or whatever. So um, in the interest of time, because I think I'm out of time, I'm just going to kind of step through these, set the stage. We're changing our pricing. High level justification. Optional more specifics and reach out with questions. Wait, was there five? Yeah, optional more justification, reach out with questions. Um, so that's it. It's pretty interesting to do something that's complicated and could potentially get people to flame you. Here's what you do. You look at people who did it really poorly and you don't do that. And then you look at people who did it really well and you do that. And this was done really well. So with that, I think I'll take a few questions. Thank you. You said you're going to email all your existing customers at some point. What if you have a customer who doesn't use your product at all? Based on metrics, they haven't done anything in the last 24 months. Do you still send the email or do you just keep that silent not to wake anybody up? I see. I mean, you're still sending them an invoice every month, that's for sure. <laughs> I would probably email everybody, but it's, it's up to you, I suppose. I never liked, I didn't like having zombie customers. Um, a lot of, the fact is, what is it, 20, it depends on the space, but like between 15 and 35% of SaaS customers are zombie customers, depending on the market. Marketing, auto, uh, not marketing automation. Uh, high pressure marketing tools have, are like a third to 40% of their customers are just zombies. So um, I hear what you're saying. I don't know. It's your call. I would probably email everybody, but I'm not saying everyone in here should. Use your judgment, you know. It's the same, re yeah, we would email, we would have customers not using the app. Every month we'd email everybody with, you just got charged, here's an invoice. So it's not as if they hadn't heard from us for a year if they weren't using it. They were still getting an invoice every, every month. Uh, hi, Rob. Um, very interesting data points on the, on the slides. Uh, I've got, what's your take on, last year where there's very big gap between each tier versus one there where it's more incrementals, let's say 29, 49, 69 and all. Right, versus like 29 and 1,000. Yeah. Right, something like yeah. that. So I've seen some folks do that. I've actually seen, I mean like Reddit, Redis, is it called? No, 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 is it Redis? No, it's Sidekick, which is a, runs on Redis, sorry. Sidekick is open source, so it's free, and then it's $1,000 a year, which I guess isn't that bad, but um, because they, that's their model, right? And then we were using a tool at one point that was like that. It was like f free to try or 50 bucks a month, and then it was 1,000 or more a month. I think that, um, I, when, when I saw that, I said, these people really know their customers. If that's working, that's genius. Like that's a great way to do it, right? We talk about dual, I talk about dual funnels all the time where it's like having a bunch of $10 customers. You can imagine Squadcast has like, you know, a bunch of $10 customers and uh, uh, then has a bunch of customers paying them thousands a month. Like that's actually a really interesting model. I like the idea of having more graduated, um, but I think it would, I'd probably have to sit down case by case, you know what I mean? I think customers will complain is what'll happen and you'll have to figure out if that's worth it and if the customers who complain are the ones that aren't gonna pay you much or if the customers who complain actually have a point. So that's the hard part to suss out. Any more? Yeah. Hi Rob, uh, thanks for the uh, talk. Yeah, sure. 
Um, uh, I wanted to hear your comments about um, monthly versus annual mm. um, as, a, as a lever to increase mm -hmm. the revenue because on one side you are losing uh, on the revenue per customer basis because right. you usually discount, yeah. but on the other side usually you also reduce your churn su right. substantially, right? Yep. So what's your comment on that, uh, that strategy? I love annual. I wish I could sell all of mine, even at a 16% discount or whatever it went. You know, if you give two months free, it's 16.7%. I get my money now. I get 10 months of revenue. So suddenly my cost to acquire is negative, right? Let's say I paid 500 bucks and I get a thousand over, you know, for 10 months. I literally just made $500 instantly. Now I can go acquire another customer. That's how you build an incredible thing. So I like annual if it, because like you said, churn goes down more money now as a bootstrapper. Right, and we need more money now. So, good question. Yeah, what else? Huh. Uh, so I'm curious, like, have you seen good examples of um, free to paid? Like where people just say, no more free. You oh, all have to pay. Kill a free plan? Yeah, yeah, I've done it. I did it, I acquired Hittail and it had a free plan and I killed it. Um, and it was on a smaller scale, right? I mean, it was a 500 free you. that's not true. There were 1,500 free users at the time. Um, Yes, I have. So much like I said, dropping your lowest pricing plan, you know, can increase your average revenue per customer. Um, dropping a free plan can as well. I, a lot of companies you see try, that, you, that we see try free, they don't do it forever because they do realize it doesn't work, you know. I think the challenge then is if you drop it, do you grandfather or not, right? And I think in most cases you do because probably it's not worth it if you have thousands of free users what are they gonna to upgrade to your $29 plan? Again, it comes back to the rule of 10, like if I'm not gonna you know, get, get folks out of, uh, into the several thousands of revenue or tens of thousands, it's probably not worth it. When I killed their free plan, it had been around for five years, I mean, since the app started. So um, I basically, the service wasn't solvent with the free plan, like it was, it was losing money. And so I did wind up, there were a few folks who like, one guy was a, a Professor, there were exceptions, I'll just say, where they were like, look, I've been on the free plan since the beginning, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great, you're comped, you're comped, you're comped, you're comped, you know? And then for the rest of them, it really pulled the, the reduced the load on the server. So that could be a whole talk right there. Hey, Rob. Hey. Um, <laughs> over the years, you probably saw a lot of price increases and also probably some bad ones. What was the yeah. worst one you saw? <laughs> what are you laughing at? Um... I'll give you the factors that I saw in the worst one. It was breaking, it broke all the rules that I just said. Two weeks notice. I think they said in two weeks, your pricing's going up. And I think it was like doubling. And the email itself wasn't actually that clear about what your new price was gonna be. And it didn't do any of the justification. It didn't say, it was like, because, right? It didn't say because we built these features and this is what we're gonna do and a commitment. Like if you read Jordan's thing, it's like, here's our commitment. Jordan uh, grandfathered for six months, I think, through the Black Friday season, because it was e-commerce, right? And then he said, here's my commitment. We have to, we gotta build enough features and do a good enough job for you that you don't churn. You can go anywhere. I love that communication. He, was, he wasn't acting like they're prisoners. He was saying, you can go anywhere, and so I have to earn this from you now over the next six months. So that in January, when it comes time, that you don't go to one of our competitors, right? And uh, if you don't 
do that, it, it can go poorly. So not grandfathering. And that's the thing, so, you know, you will see people say, some people say you should always grandfather forever, always, always in all caps, or you should never, I don't hear many people. Actually, if most developers in this room would probably say, well, we should always grandfather. And most salespeople would probably say we should not grandfather, right? It's the business sides of it. There are two sides, there's nuance to it. I, I honestly believe if you really take a look at it, so. Uh, do you have any thoughts on add-ons and when it makes sense to like feature gate with an add-on rather than including it on a higher price tier? I do. Um, this one's tough, and I have thoughts on it, but it's all I don't have a framework around it. I don't have general thoughts, if that makes sense, yet. I've had probably three of these conversations around it in the past couple months, and each time I'm still thinking through what are the criteria. I don't have the criterion bulleted list in my head yet. Does that make sense? So yeah, I do think there's a right time to do add-ons versus tiers. I just, I'm not there yet with a good, like a good generalized answer, but I have made specific, you know, in these instances, I was like, that's why it worked, or that's what you should do. And now I'm trying to reverse engineer that thought process still. So thank you all so much. Thanks again for listening to this MicroConf Refresh episode. As a reminder, this talk was from MicroConf Europe last year, and tickets for this year's MicroConf Europe are on sale. MicroConf.com slash Europe. Be back in your ears again next week.